0: Everybody and welcome to Taking Control the ADHD Podcast on RashPixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and right over there is Nikki Kinzer. Hello. Hello, Nikki. Hello, Pete Wright. Are you being your authentic self this morning? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really confident. Yeah. I am. really excited about the conversation today. I do not know where it came from. Uh, we are going to be taking on the imposter syndrome. We've talked about it a little bit before, but all of a sudden I look at the rundown and there's a whole episode we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome. Before we do that, head over to TakeControlADHD.com. Get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website. You can subscribe to our mailing list. That's probably the best thing to do right there. Is join the mailing list. We'll send you an email every time... Some new stuff shows up on the website, including episodes, blog articles, everything. And of course, connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at Take Control ADHD and call us at 503-664-4ADD and get your voice and your thoughts and your questions on this very show. We want to hear from you. Okay, we also have a very special guest today to help us talk about imposter syndrome, psychologist, faculty member at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in the Osher Center for Integrative Medicine, we have Dr. Doug Hur joining us today, all the way from Nashville. Doug. Hi, Pete. Good to hear from you, my friend. When,
1: when you read that, I'm like, yes, and I'm also the ultimate imposter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you are the expert on this topic. I'm a, that,
1: I've lost my amateur status.
0: That <laughs> is right. That is right. Nikki, okay, so uh, where did this topic come from uh, on our rundown today? Why were you inspired to do a whole episode here? Three
2: reasons. Uh first of all, it came up probably a couple of years ago when I was working with my own mentor coach and uh we were talking through some things and she said, Well, let me ask you a question. And I'm like, Okay. And she goes, Well, do you feel like you're a fraud? And I'm like, What? <laughs> <laughs> what what does that mean? So then we went through this whole conversation about um, maybe being a little insecure about what you know or don't know, and, and uh, she didn't call it imposter syndrome, but it certainly sounds like it now that I know what the definition is. Um, so that was kind of on a personal level. Then it came up again when I was talking to uh, a client of mine, and uh, she's a professor, and this was something that she was dealing with a lot, um, feeling like... She was going to get found out, like they her students were going to figure out that she didn't know as much as they thought she did, or um, just really again, kind of feeling a little insecure about um, her position and why she was in that position, and so forth. And then recently it came up again, um, with some uh, with my one of my coaching groups, and uh, the coaching group that I have right now is a younger clientele, they're um in their twenties and thirties. And uh, she did use the word imposter syndrome and wanted to talk about it. I was just fascinated by it. So I was like, Hey, I've, you know, I need to research this, learn about it. And I thought I would love to get an expert on the show to talk about it.
0: (laughs) Well, excellent.
2: Yeah. It's Uh, affected me three ways. And you know, Pete, when things happen like that, you got to listen. Yeah. That's the truth.
0: Ain't sing it sister. Ain't that right. the truth? I uh, I, I definitely uh, resonate with this, and I'm, that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk about it, because I, I think from the day I quit uh, the corporate job to do this full time, it has been a constant struggle with uh, feeling like uh, like a complete imposter. What is it that's going on in my brain uh, that is, that is uh, causing me to feel so self-judged, even in the absence of other people judging me? Um, so where would you like to start?
2: Well, I would be really curious to just, you know, find out how to explain it because I could explain it, but I'm kind of thinking that Doug would do a lot better than me. (laughs) So (laughs) Doug, can you explain what imposter syndrome
1: is? (laughs) Imposter syndrome is when somebody who really is high achieving feels like they Aren't high achieving because of their skill, intelligence, and effort, but rather it's just by some kind of fluke, and they're just waiting for everyone to figure that out. You know, with ADHD, you're absolutely susceptible to that. And I won't try and describe everyone's experience, but I know that for me, even, you know, the fact of having my attentional drift happen, you know, pretty much all the time. So I'm constantly trying to tune in again to, you know, what's happening right now because. I'll just have all sorts of thoughts about what's happening right now and find them fascinating for a moment and then realize I'm not on the same page anymore and feel like I'm having to play catch up all the time. I mean that right there is enough that you want to hide that from people, right? I mean you don't want everyone thinking that like listening to, you, listening to them isn't important to you, right? I mean that's exactly not true first of all. So you, you want to save people from from having the wrong idea so to, to really be present to what's going on and be engaged in it all the time is a struggle for someone with ADHD and um, it doesn't it doesn't matter that you love it and care about it deeply you know there's there's still the tendency to um, just have your attention be distracted by so many things. I can't tell you as I was like taking you know the four minutes to prepare for this session so that I wouldn't look stupid. Um, <laughs> you know, there were like, I, there had to be at least six different tangents that I went to explore. Yeah. You
0: know. Yeah. Right. Um, well, and and isn't that so much? I mean, we, we did a show recently, uh, Nikki, how does this, this hit you that that uh, on impulse control. And, and that seems like so much of, of kind of what we're dealing with, like your attention drifts largely because you find it so difficult to, um, you know, to, to, bring yourself back to present because there are other things that are fighting so uh, competently for your locus of attention and awareness at that very moment. Not that you don't care about the other thing that other people are doing, but that this other thing has come up that is so important.
2: Right, right. Well, and something that Doug said that that really resonated with me is when he was talking about how you kind of want to hide that. Like you don't want the other people to know, or you don't want the person that you're talking to, to know that your mind just drifted. And that's a tough, that's, you know, that's hard to get around because then you start feeling ashamed or guilty about, about it when it's really not in your control.
1: Well, and you know, shame is really fundamental. Um, and anyone who hasn't already indulged in Brene Brown's work, you know, please go do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, because she really brought shame to the forefront and, and in, you know, in charming and hilarious ways too. So she, she's fantastic for someone with ADHD. She keeps getting your attention again. Um, <clears throat> but shame is so powerful and so toxic because it, it really has to do with this thing about myself that I truly cannot change. And if I think that because I have this, you fill in the blank, but in this case, you know, attentional drift, is a good way to put it, you know, then I'm not good enough as a person. That right there is so problematic. You know, shame is is really important because it it really guides and controls us unless we have a good handle on it. And what it does is it drives our attention away from itself in the background of our minds. And that is going to make us more ADHD than ever.
0: Well, so I'm going to, I want to talk more about that because it, it, what it sounds like you're saying is I'm in the middle of a situation where I'm already struggling to stay attuned to what's going on, and because I am not attuned to it, I'm shameful about it, and now I'm distracted by my own shame.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the need to hide.
0: I'm sh- yeah, those, all those things are sort of in orbit of one another.
1: There are different schools of thought as to how um, ADHD comes about. Um, I think that it's certainly just plain old well genetics and environment certainly could do it uh, for some people, which is to say, um, you know, whether it's you know too much screen time or what you eat or. Just whatever is in your biology and it not matching up with the demands of going to school every day as a kid, you know, that can look like ADHD. But the other thing that's very true is that hypervigilance, which is a symptom of trauma, can look like ADHD because you're constantly scanning for some, whatever's moving in the environment because it, you don't feel safe.
0: Hypervigilance, that's a new term for us. Can you talk more about that?
1: Well, okay, so it's being. Um, Excessively concerned with whatever might be dangerous in your environment, and for human beings, that's often each other, right? And if I, you know, if I like you, I want to impress you. I want to really do well on your podcast or whatever it is. Then, um, you know, I can start to. I even say that, and I start to feel anxiety about it, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I, right. That's so easy for that to happen. And then that can, right there, can start a sense of uh, feeling less grounded in yourself, um, feeling less confident. You know, you mix that in with some attentional drift, and, you know, all of it can spiral really quickly. So anxiety and shame can be a big part of ADHD um, and social anxiety right
0: that that is so uh I, I i think i'm i'm becoming more attuned as you're talking about this to my own struggles with with you know feeling like an imposter it's this you're absolutely right and that that hypervigilance is is truly going on. It's this, it's the judgment radar that's constantly going out of my brain, right? It's it, healing pings as people get closer to me, as people get closer to writing comments about, you know, the shows that we do, like, that's always a thing that you're dealing with because you don't want to, you, you've got to find a way to accept it and be vulnerable in order to be honest and, and operate with some integrity with yourself. But right. you also, that, that comes with great fear. It's sort of primal.
1: It is primal. And, and, you know, that's, I think that's one of the most important things about shame is it's very primal. It's not the smartest part of your brain, right? It's a very powerful part of your brain, but it's not the smartest part. And it's not necessarily accurate, right? I mean, you can be a lot more, you know, we're usually much more critical of ourselves than others are
0: of us. True. Well, and that isn't that at the, the core of imposter syndrome,
1: I think you just nailed it. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. That's what I was thinking when you said that is that it's not accurate because it's a, it's a, it's your perception. It's not, it's, and that's not necessarily the the real perception or what, or what other people are looking at. Yeah. Right.
1: When you have a perception of yourself, it's going to be rooted and grounded, not only in what's happening in that moment, but in all of your own biases, right. Um, which have to do with your past and your memories. And I don't mean just explicit memories, but also your implicit memories, the kind of memories that happen in your body, that they don't show up as memories. They show up as feelings and impulses and sometimes as thoughts. All of that stuff happening, it really colors what we see in the background. It's sort of like it puts, it puts the color in our eye lenses So then everything we look at in ourselves is already colored that way. And to assume that that's the same as everyone else's eyes is a big mistake, Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of other people are being self-critical too, not just people with ADHD, but for a variety of reasons. You know, this is a big problem in our culture, is really being self-critical, which is basically beating yourself up when you most need love and support, right? Right. It's it's going to that judgment thing in ourselves before anyone else has a chance to do it to us.
0: And in the case of ADHD, it can happen both uh, about the ADHD, uh, and and that's what, why this is, is sort of magnified because it's not just what all humans generally deal with at some time or another, feeling like they're being judged for you know their behavior or their you know their performance in some way. But in this case, it's magnified by the fact that they're being judged about the the spectrum on which they live
1: to emphasize that even further pete it's it's also true that the nature of the adhd mentation the the nature of mind um, is more given i think to unfounded judgments against yourself just because it's adhd i don't have any studies on that but i'd really be i don't know that it's been studied but i'm really curious about it even as we're talking about it because The neurology of ADHD, I think, is going to be that you're more lost in your neocortex. This isn't just a uniquely ADHD problem; it's just more so in ADHD, right? I mean, just like when you when you look at attentional issues, um, they can happen for anyone. If you're used to drinking coffee and you don't, if you don't get a good night's sleep, if you haven't eaten right, if you're not, you know, if you don't have a good balanced life, like I think most people in our culture right now, really probably don't have great balanced lives. But with ADHD, it's just it's just emphasized even more. And I think that that right there, to me, says, you know, as people with ADHD, we need to be really vigilant about taking care of ourselves better. If you can't control your attention, then everything else you do is influenced in unfortunate ways.
0: So what does that look like? Um, you know, we I, I feel like we've got a, a pretty good sense of, of you know, the, the conditions that need to be ripe uh, for us to start kind of sabotaging ourselves, right? I mean, uh, when we are feeling these certain ways, we start to feel that Im- the old imposter syndrome sitting on our shoulder. But but what do we do to start to deal with the the that place? You know, when we're when we want to be able to relate to the world in a better way, you, you know, what is it that we need to do to to you know lure ourselves into doing it?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important question because. Unfortunately, psychology for a long time was um, you know, long on diagnosis and short on solutions. But like in this case, you know, like hopefully with your audience um, that, you know, if they're open to medication, they're already exploring that. And what I'd say about that is it is an exploration. I've tried a lot of medicines for ADHD and none of them really suited me. Um, if they really helped with my attentional problems, they also gave me horrible insomnia So I'm not saying there's a perfect solution with with medication, but certainly it's an important option. For some people, it's just a lifesaver. But beyond that, that, that's just the beginning. You know, it's really important that we get relational help. For example, um, therapy. It's it's really important to have someone just validate your experience. And the reason we have therapists, I think, uh, as much as anything, it's not so much expertise as safety. You know, in therapy, you have someone that isn't, like, you can admit things to them that you want to work on and not have it come back to bite you in your life, right? If you don't like them, you can fire them. But, you know, if you start trying to get your spouse or someone at work to help you with issues that you're having, it could be used against you. Um, so you have to be more careful with that. There's um, no judgment. I
2: mean, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I'm hearing you say is that there well, is a yeah.
1: Or shouldn't be, right? right? A good therapist is not going to judge you. And if they do judge you, fire them get a new therapist.
2: Exactly, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and a coach like Nikki, you're an ADHD geek, which I just found out, and I like wrote down your name. I'm like, ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it for later, Nikki. <laughs> um, so, but also I want to emphasize um, meditation can help. This is the, the most basic kind of thing that I would would, um, share with any one of my patients or in the classes that I, that I lead. What most people with ADHD feel about meditation is that that must be for somebody else because I can't do it. And I want to emphasize that if you have ADHD, you're a perfect candidate for meditation because meditation is not emptying your thoughts or clearing your mind or having perfect focus. On the contrary, meditation is training your focus. And so, You might just pick a spot on the wall, you know, a thumbtack or whatever is sticking in the wall near you and stare at it. And staring isn't the right word. Look at it. So you keep your awareness on that thumbtack or or whatever it is, that spot on the wall. And as you do that, two things can happen. One is your eyes can move, in which case you know you're no longer fixing your attention on that spot. The other thing is, That your mind can move right and that's i'm going to call that staring actually so i'm i'm looking at this thumbtack but my mind has wandered off somewhere else now i'm just really staring at the thumbtack and my attention is elsewhere as soon as i realize that i bring it back to the thumbtack okay this is i call it just focus wander shift so i try and focus on something and if i'm paying attention Soon I'll realize that I'm no longer focused on it because my mind is wandering off. And then I shift back to that point of focus. Now, this is an experience basically of, one, training your attention, not by being good at it, but by constantly catching yourself, not being good at it. And that's why if you have ADHD, meditation is a really good thing to do because it'll happen over and over and over and over again. And it's also resilience training. Because what you're really doing is failing constantly to pay attention, right? And what happens is you get used to failing and you get okay with it. And pretty soon, you're less self-critical simply because you get bored of it. You know, in the beginning, you beat yourself up for not paying attention adequately. And eventually, you get bored of beating yourself up. You're like, oh, yeah, that again. Oh, well, and you just keep doing it. So the longer you meditate, I, I really believe it. it's hard to overstate the benefits of meditation Unless you're somebody who has like active suicidal thoughts or flashbacks due to trauma, things like that, then you don't want to meditate. You just want to get support and therapy and start there. But meditation can be very helpful for your attentional capacities. And then I want to emphasize, too, that it's not just paying attention, um, and I picked something boring like a thumbtack, but the truth is, if I can become curious about the thumbtack, so now I'm not just using my uh, neocortex to focus on the thumbtack. I'm also using my limbic system, the emotional motivational center of the brain. This makes the work of focusing a lot easier. If I can bring curiosity to it or wonder, you know, it sounds crazy to be in awe of a thumbtack, but. You know, the universe is in a grain of sand, so why not? You're just bringing your emotions to whatever it is that you're trying to focus on. And the last thing I want to say about meditation is self compassion is a really important form of meditation. And that's basically just turning non judgmental kindness to your own experience in your own body. And uh, Kristen Neff, N E F F, is um, a scientist who, her, her website is self compassion.org. And uh, I would commend that to anyone. There are free resources up there to learn how to meditate um, if, you, if you go through the drop-down menus. Um, another thing that's really useful these days is neurofeedback. Um, QEEG is what it's called. There are other kinds of neurofeedback that are not uh, as scientifically studied. But QEEG neurofeedback is, um, has got a great body of evidence behind it for ADHD.
0: What is, what is, uh, can you describe what a a QEEG So Q means,
1: EEG is just a classical, you know, EEG, but QEEG, they use the same leads, in other words, to hook up to your brain, but Q means quantitative. So they actually do, um, you know, mathematical pretest to determine what's happening in your brain and then take, you know, very specific actions Um, To address it. So I'm not saying it's a silver bullet, you know, there isn't one, but um, for a lot of people, it's extremely helpful. My favorite authors, Hollowell and Ratley, or Ratley,
2: yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you
1: know, driven to distraction or delivered from distraction. Mm -hmm. Great. I think those are, these guys are great. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they say is, um, you know, play, practice a skill and work on mastering a skill but start out from a place of playfulness rather than a place of pressure and like trying to live up to your spouse's expectations is not where you want to begin you know you have to be able to play with it in a stress-free zone and um and you can build skills that way Um, and they say the one rule with adhd is find what you're good at and do it and I, I mean, that's probably a good rule for anyone, but I know for years I tried to work on all my weaknesses and it's not that that's a terrible thing, but it can be, it can be a waste of time, you know, living from a place of joyfulness and, you know, finding what you really are skilled at, which is also, you know, you feel like you're an imposter because, um, you know, I just really don't have any skills. Well, that's not true. Um, it's, it's really, un- we can be really unfair to ourselves, um.
0: That's a, that's a great way to put it. And I think that's the other, I I mean, this idea of the way you are framing meditation. I, I love the concept that you will get bored of beating up on yourself.
2: Well, and you know what I love about it, about what you just explained is that I think this is the first time. And I haven't done a whole lot of studying with meditation, other than what I do for myself, and I talk to clients about it. But this is the first time that I've ever heard anybody talk about meditation without closing their eyes.
1: Mm, Yeah. Oh no. I mean, that's that's not even where you begin. Yeah.
2: I love that you say that because I practiced while you were talking. I looked at the. um, I was looking at the little knob thing that um, pulls the drapes or the blinds up and down, you know, (laughs) whatever that thing is, the the string thing. So as you were talking, I'm looking at it. And when you were talking about curiosity, I'm like, I wonder why they decided that shape. You know, I'm? I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it and it's like, it's, it's a nice shape. And, but it's really interesting when you're just, when you see something and, and you're focusing versus having your eyes closed, because I don't know. I just love the way you explained that. That was really good.
1: Oh, good. I'm glad. Well, and Nikki, so just to take it one step further, you know, to notice, even though you're having thoughts about that thing now, yeah, in, in the midst of your curiosity, you can also, at some point, say, "Okay, I'm just going to go. I'm going to not not that there's anything wrong with those thoughts or bad about them, but I'm going to, you know, go right back to just looking at it again. Mm-hmm. You know, because even indulging in thoughts can be our mind wandering even when there are thoughts about what we're supposed to be focused on. Right,
0: right. Yeah. And now I feel like I know what Nikki is doing while I'm talking on this podcast. I'm going to focus <laughs> on the little week. string thing. you going to be yeah. serious, <laughs> meditating.
2: <laughs> I just like how, I like the explanation. I just think it's a it, it's a, an easy way to start it with, like you said, it doesn't, it takes the pressure off.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there, there needs to be, you know, even in the beginning for meditation, and this is from Meng Tan's book, uh, Search Inside Yourself. He would sit with his daughter for two minutes and not have any agenda, just sit and hang out for two minutes. Like That's a great place to start, too. I think most fundamental of all here is that you start from a place of self-care, not self-improvement.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I that. Like if you're that. starting
1: from this place of self-improvement, the very idea that you're starting with is an insult to who you oh, are. Oh,
2: so true.
1: And this is just terrible. So if we start from the premise that we really are worth taking care of, you know, this is my heart for this. is It's really so important that we start from that place, not from we're a problem to be solved or you know something to be fixed or trouble to be dealt with. You know, no, that that's not good enough. That's not inspiring enough. Uh, we want to start with a celebration that you're exactly what you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to be all things to all people. You're not supposed to be perfect. You're just supposed to be a contributing part of the community. That means you need support from that community, and it needs who you are. More than anything else, you are the biggest gift you have to give to the world. So I don't want anyone to think, oh, I have to improve myself. No, I have to take care of myself. I definitely have to improve, and I'm working on this all the time. I really want to improve how I take care of myself because then I can you know, enjoy my life The most fully and contribute to others the most, you know, I can beautify the world in the best ways possible
2: well, and one one thing I just want to add real quick, when we were talking about this in the in the coaching group, um we certainly got onto the subject about just being authentic and knowing what your intention is, and when you have a good intention and you know you're not doing anything wrong, you're not trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes um you know you, you you're you're coming from a really good place that that's always a really good reminder when you start going down that rabbit hole of imposter syndrome is you know i am being authentic i am being who i am it's okay not to know everything i don't have to know everything
1: you know and this is really this is really key too because like i'm a you know side note which is unfortunate and very shame based i'm a recovering fundamentalist so you know, I had this idea that I'm supposed to be perfect and I've never met perfect, right? Not in me, not in anybody. Um, And so the idea of really being authentic, being sincere, being who you really are as a goal would not have even occurred to me. And I I feel really uh, appreciative of the fact that, you know, now I feel like, okay, that's my only job is to learn how to bring exactly what I'm most passionate about into my work so that my work is my calling and, you know, not like I'm supposed to live up to somebody else's expectations or standards. That's not the starting place. I mean, that's an important part of life, but the starting place is, am I, you know, am I really being who I need to be in this world? And that's determined somewhere from within trying to live up to standards in school, just sitting still and listening the whole time for someone else that might come naturally. But we get to feel like fakes from you know, like first grade on because we just weren't made to sit there like that.
2: When we're talking about imposter syndrome, when we're talking about shame and all of these things that, and judgment, how I mean, we've talked about meditation. We've talked about self-care, which was a huge aha moment for both Pete and I. But what else can you share with our audience that would help them get past them judging themselves so harshly?
1: I mean, I'm a really big fan of Kristen Neff, and she has a YouTube called Epiphany. You know, she said one of the most important things about it is that a lot of our judgment is built into the back of our minds, and so mindfulness is paying attention to the present moment non-judgmentally. And I really like to say instead of take non-judgmentally right out of the equation because I'm just going to judge myself because I'm judgmental. And it turns out all humans are. It's a normal mental process to be judgmental. But as soon as we notice that we're judgmental, as soon as I notice – let me, let, let me not use that as a, like a, a global label judgmental. Let's say as I'm being judgmental in this moment, when I notice that, now I'm sitting in the place of the witness rather than the judge, and I can start to unpack it. And what's really important to me about judgment is that it's a cover for pain and fear. So if, or or it was pain and fear that I had in the past, right? So it's, it's a normal process. It arose for natural reasons. Being judgmental is a normal process. So let yourself off the hook. Don't judge yourself for being judgmental. First of all, when we recognize what's underneath that judgment, that's going to be really powerful. That's basically a, a you know, the doorway to enlightenment as opposed to judgment in that moment is to say, wait a minute, I'm using this judgment to avoid feeling something, to avoid thinking something. And by the way, you don't have to believe all your thoughts. They're not all true. They're just, who who knows? They, you know, they, they're artifacts of memory and ideas that your brain had when you were four or five years old or 15 years old, but you can do better than that now. So if you witness these things, Realize your goal, again, it's not self-improvement. You don't have to try and change those judgments or the pain or fear that's underneath it if you simply be present to it in a kind way and be curious about it. And that's the place where you become more self-supporting and and really self-healing. It's a very self-healing process. If it becomes overwhelming, that's where you need more support. That doesn't mean you're weak, it means you're human. And that's where, you know, good friends... Uh, other people who understand in a support group or a therapist are also very useful.
2: Love that. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, yeah. Thanks for the question.
0: Do okay, Pete. Now do I, you I, can I, it I don't up. want to jump in. If I'm... <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be impulsive? Way, I'm way too impulsive. I just get too excited. Well, you know what, Nikki? Seriously, this is. I, wait a minute. I to... Wait a minute. <laughs> now uh, it's you? And now it's
1: me. I want Nikki to talk about what she does.
2: Oh, they know what I do. They know what I do.
1: (laughs) I don't. Are you sure? Come on. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. We, I will, I will certainly facilitate that. But this is about you, uh, uh, Doug, and how you are a first of all a very old and dear friend of mine, and uh, and so I personally appreciate you being here. But I know you have offered something um, transformative to our listeners. So thank you for for taking the time to to do that with us today.
1: Thank you, Pete, and you're very welcome.
0: And you're a hell of a singer too. People don't know this, but old <laughs> Doug, he can carry a tune.
1: You know, I live in Nashville now, so I don't really, I don't really bandy that about
0: because Hey, speaking of imposter (laughs) syndrome. (laughs) Boy, did you live in the wrong place for that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no kidding.
0: Uh, Anyway, this has been terrific. Anything else we have to talk about, Nikki? Are you, do you want to, do you have any final comments or thoughts?
2: No, this is great. I hope you'll come back on the show sometime.
0: Uh, Me? I'm always on the show, Doug. Who else are we (laughs) talking to? Yeah. <laughs> no, Indeed,
2: I, I, I would... will host next week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I'm going to uh I'm gonna go back and listen to all the old podcasts now, because 'cause I'm excited about this.
0: Excellent. Well maybe we There's can give like you a a couple. Of yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, we should, we,
1: We've got Prior kind of a
0: yes. kind of a catalog. Uh <laughs> okay, anyway.
1: Maybe I'll I'll you know, I'll listen to about 28 seconds of each one right there you go <laughs> representative sample so adhd style yeah
0: it's a perfect right. perfect That's model right. behavior uh thank you so much again doug her uh, who is a psychologist and faculty member at vanderbilt university in nashville go find him there you can hang out outside his office and bring him lunch he would like that uh, and uh, and on behalf of nikki kinzer i'm pete wright thanks everybody we'll catch you next week on taking control the adhd podcast